everyone. Welcome to Risk Roundup. While banks have uniquely remained important to each nation's economy, the trust in the banking system and bankers seems to have been badly shaken over the years. There is a growing concern that the traditional form of banks, banking and bankers, will not be able to rebuild the lost trust on its own. So the question is, how can the industry rebuild the lost trust? Perhaps through technology. It is said that banking has so far been resistance to technology disruption, at least until now. However, things seem to be changing as the financial technology, in short referred to as fintech, is on its way to transforming banking and the current form of banks as we presently know. Thus, almost every type of financial activity, from banking to payments to wealth management, is being reimagined and redesigned. There is a great optimism regarding the financial technology today, and vast amount of capital are being deployed with the hope that the coming years will likely show a fundamental transformation of banking across nations. New competitors, new technology, and new consumer expectations have begun to shape the banking industry. So the question surrounding the banking industry today is not whether it will be transformed, but rather how it will be transformed. To discuss this further, I'm delighted to welcome David Giori to Risk Roundup. David is the CEO of Banking Reports and is based in United Kingdom. Welcome, David. We are delighted to have you on Risk Roundup. Thank you. Wonderful, David. So what, what should bankers know about financial technology? Mm-hmm. Bankers should know four things about financial technology. The first is what financial technology is. The second is um, what kind of uh, challenge it poses. The third is why this challenge is hard to overcome. And the fourth, the final one is how to overcome it. That's, yes, that is very well said. You you know, you captured the whole essence of the challenge that the banking industry is facing and how they should be addressing. Uh, customer expectations are changing. So uh, what do you think it will bring the impact? What impact will it have on the banking? How it will shape the banking? Mm-hmm. Yes. So customer expectations are changing. Customers themselves are changing. The customers of the new millennium, the viral social media marketing messages, because that is what they can process, uh, as opposed to ATL, above the line, old style media solutions through television, radio, or posters. Uh, This is the generation which doesn't understand a traditional bank statement because there are awkward words and numbers and letters and it's black and white. But this is the generation which immediately understands even the most complicated computer dashboard with its gadgets, with its colors, with its pie charts. That's why this generation is so open towards these smart financial uh, dashboards, these gadgets, these uh, colorful computer game-like user interfaces. This is the generation for which the primary, the primary uh, vector, the primary aspect of user experience is design. Because that is the language they can understand, and so on, and so on. And banks are struggling to get this generation. But banks are struggling with something else, which is lengthy and complicated to explain, but I want to explain it to you. The, The struggle is that bankers are hearing the expression fintech and the threats about fintech, regarding fintech, more and more and more. But you, I, bankers, investors, even fintech entrepreneurs, we never hear a precise definition of fintech. Now, therefore, 
I have been developing a definition for fintech for two years. And the best definition I could come up with is a complex one. A complex one because fintech, in fact, consists of 30 distinct, 3030 distinct areas. And understanding this complexity, understanding the fact that fintech is more than one thing, it's the collection of 30 quite distinct areas. This is the first thing bankers have to understand. The definition of fintech, these 30 areas. So let me please list these 30 areas and say one sentence or half sentence about each. We could talk for an hour about each. But now I will just go through these 30 areas because these are the 30 areas of financial technology. These 30 areas define the ecosystem and the challenge bankers are facing. And the incredible difficulty about this challenge is that these 30 areas require slightly or completely differentiated competitive and cooperative answers. So let's look at these 30 areas. Crowdfunding, equity investment into micro, small and mid-sized enterprises. Peer-to-peer -peer lending, that is credit between private people. Neobanks, licensed institutions, but not having bricks and mortar outlets, i.e. branch networks, they are digital only. Those are the neobanks. Micropayments. Micropayments are tiny sums, sums of money going through between people instantly and with no transaction cost. And micropayments will be important in paying insurance premiums on a daily basis as opposed to an annual basis and receiving as well paying interests on loans, credits on a daily basis as opposed to a monthly or quarterly basis. Robo-advisors. We hear a lot about robo-advising uh, algorithms. It's becoming more and more popular in asset management and wealth management. Within robo-advisors, there is a new trend emerging, which is a hybrid trend. It's robo and advisors. So in private banking and asset management segments, more and more banks have smart machine learning algorithms working within the CRM system, assisting human advisors. That is the robo and advisor model. Phone-related solutions like M-Pesa in Africa, in Kenya, Tanzania, and many other African countries. M-Pesa is a phone-related solution because it works within the phone. And in fact, M-Pesa works with text messaging. However, it has given access to tens of millions of unbanked people throughout Africa. We can also talk about wallets, online wallets, e-wallets like PayPal. PayPal is the largest online wallet. PayPal has 180 million active users in 200 countries. PayPal is a special fintech co company because it was started up in 1998, 10 to 15 years earlier than most fintech companies. That's how this company, PayPal, could grow so large. So PayPal is the largest online wallet. Let's look at another uh, area out of the 30. Card substitutes. Card substitutes are solutions like Apple Pay. But it's not only Apple Pay. Samsung Pay is coming. Android Pay is coming. And solutions 
on top of Apple Pay, like Self-Pay from Canada, are also coming. Another area, remittances. Remittance services like TransferWise are speeding up cross-border money transfers as well as making them dramatically cheaper. No wonder why incumbent banks are struggling about how to relate to it. Social trading. Social trading is a beautiful emerging area within fintech. The largest social trading company globally is called eToro. Social trading has a synonym. It's copy trading. Social trading, also known as copy trading, is when people trade assets, stocks, currencies, commodities, indices, any sort of assets, totally publicly. You trade with your face, I trade with my face, and our portfolios are totally public. People see what we buy, what we sell, and we can also comment this, and people can follow each other as well as people can copy traders whom they think are very successful. Therefore, they can invest a fraction of their own portfolio into copying a successful trader. Now, this genre, this area, copy trading, also known as social trading, is growing exponentially because young people love this. It's like the social media of the stock market. Banks can buy these solutions in white label formats, but banks are cautious with it. It's, it's, it's hard for them to uh, embrace it. Wearables, wearables like the smartwatch are emerging. Bank of America has a great smartwatch application. The smartwatch is becoming a payments device. Solutions within big data. Big data is a beautiful area. There are two sub areas within big data. One is intrabank big data solutions. When banks are experimenting with big data within the banks, but even more significant and exciting are out of the bank big data solutions. I will give you two examples social media credit scoring like the company called friendly score social media credit scoring is when you pop on a website you give them access to your browser history to your linkedin twitter facebook and and so on and they retrieve the data and with big data analysis they come up with a credit score for you now there are also social media card security solutions. There is a company in Denmark which runs 1 million data point analysis about you when your card transaction goes through within four milliseconds. And it, it collects publicly available data about you and it analyzes if this data and your current purchase fit together or not. Those are big data solutions. APIs, application programming interfaces. More and more banks are opening up their databases to authorize third parties. That is API banking. In Europe, the PSD2 regulation, Payment Services Directive 2, will make API banking basically compulsory. So banks will have to open up towards authorized third parties. Personal financial dashboards like Moven from New York and uh, some others, digital currencies like Bitcoin, like Ethereum, and all the other digital currencies are emerging. Even central banks like the Bank of England are seriously experimenting with digital currencies. Interbank blockchain solutions. You know that in New York, there is the R3 blockchain alliance, where 70 of the largest global banks are experimenting with coming up with a global interbank blockchain clearing protocol, which could replace or complement SWIFT. 
InsureTech. InsureTech is a beautiful area on its own, but most people think about it as something within fintech. Peer-to-peer -peer insurance, on-off insurance, smart boxes applied in cars, voice recognition uh, in order to indicate if an insurance claim is false or true. Many, many, many solutions are emerging globally. Augmented reality. Many people have difficulties imagining how augmented reality can be used within financial technology. But two of my favorite examples are both coming from Australian banks. One Australian bank has a wonderful mortgage application. You are walking on the street, you fall in love with a piece of real estate. You show it to your application and it gives you a price code based on geolocation and uh, real estate market analysis data. And it gives you a mortgage code immediately. It combines reality and digital solutions. Another Australian bank has this augmented credit card application. You show your credit card to your phone, this camera, and as you show your credit card to your phone's camera, uh, your, uh, the application writes your current balance and your last three transactions, which otherwise you wouldn't know only looking at your physical credit card. ATM innovations like fingerprint money withdrawal, like smartphone money withdrawal, and many other ATM innovations are coming. Back office artificial intelligence. If bankers are honest to themselves, they have to admit that all banks globally are a little bit dependent on Excel, even though they spend on IT very heavily. Now, back-office artificial intelligence solutions are replacing these Excels. Biometric identification, the heartbeat recognition bracelet, which Halifax Bank in the UK recently piloted, and clients could log in to their online banking with a push of a button on this heartbeat recognition bracelet, because as it turns out, heartbeat is totally individual. But we all know about many, many other biometric solutions from iris to voice, from fingerprint to even gait, the way people walk. Risk tech. Risk tech is a beautiful area. It's about coming up with better risk analysis. For example, one of my favorite risk tech companies incorporates environmental risks into the risk rating of corporations. Think about the Volkswagen scandal. No matter what large incumbent rating agencies rated Volkswagen like, no matter how much you look at a balance sheet, no matter how much you look at a P&L statement, you will never find those incredible environmental risks on these statements which Volkswagen suffered. Compliance. More and more large banks are outsourcing compliance. As the World Economic Forum wrote in a recent report, outsourcing compliance is one of the most unexpected yet most dynamic trends regulations the regulatory environment is becoming so heavy and so complicated that even banks started to turn to compliance expert companies which have better technologies better dedicated softwares better knowledge about getting compliance sorted back office blockchain solutions banks are not only developing interbank blockchain solutions, but they are experimenting with blockchain in their back offices with more or less success. RegTech. RegTech is the name for technology for regulators. For example, many regulators globally are experimenting with real-time regulation, softwares which make data flow to regulators from within banks continuously on an online, real-time basis. Imagine how much better it is to do stress tests with immediate real-time 
flowing data. Digital identity. Digital identity solutions are coming up here and there. Interestingly enough, the most advanced country in digital identity globally is Estonia. And they are improving this digital identity regime month by month, but many other countries are working on it as well. Video banking. 2017 is going to be the year of video banking. There, there is some research showing that internationally, the number of banks using video banking will more than double in 2017. Video banking is a beautiful thing, but on-demand, transactional video banking, so that clients can use video banking for real transactions anytime on an on-demand basis, is actually a very complicated thing, both in terms of costs and in terms of legal background. Now, Internet of Things. Internet of Things is really NASCAR, but still there are beautiful Internet of Things solutions. For example, one of the large global banks has put biometric sensors on its traders and it started to measure market sentiment, literally. So they saw if their US stock traders are more nervous than their European bond traders, and so on, and so on, and so on. They started to measure market sentiment literally among their traders. Virtual reality. Another large bank distributed virtual reality glasses among its traders because traders use multiple screens. Three, four, five, seven, eight screens per traders. So this bank thought we can have infinite number of traders' screens once we distribute virtual reality glasses. We could go further in it, but there are beautiful things emerging. And my 30th category, the final category, is other areas. Other areas which we haven't yet recognized. So these are the 30 areas within FinTech. It took long to explain this, but this is the essence of the FinTech challenge which bankers are globally facing. Yes. And one of the major reasons why it's extremely difficult for senior executives to grab this is this exact nature of complexity of 30 30 areas which we tend to simplify and talk about as one. Yes, yes, yes. So that, that, yes. Is, that, that is an excellent overview that you Thank you. That was an excellent overview. So, uh, so, David, what I hear, uh, there is some echo going there. Is right. some echo going right now. Oh, sorry about that. Is it better now? Yeah, yeah, I think it is much better. So what, what I hear is that you gave an excellent overview about the different financial technology and where all the complex innovations are coming and complex challenges are there for the banks and banking industry. But to me, it seems that non-banks are defining much of, you know, how the banking is going to shape. It is not only the innovations that are coming from within the banking industry but also from outside of the banking industry the non-banks that are defining the customer expectations because they're all like like you said you know the millennials all these you know young people they are asking questions like why does a mortgage application take so many weeks to process or why does it take you know a debit card uh, you know to, from online versus a branch, you know, different times in which you can get the debit card. So those kind of questions are reshaping, you know, the, there are solutions coming from outside the banking industry. And it seems that that is shaping and defining the banking uh, that will look like in the coming years. But there is also a bigger problem that the banks are banks all over the world are facing, and that is the monopoly over the customer to fight mm -hmm. for customer because that is shaking up the banking industry. It is no longer the monopoly of the banks that all the customers will go to banks only for their financial needs. There are a lot of non-banks 
that are you know filling in the shoes so where is this going the fight and the monopoly that is collapsing of the banking industry for the customer when we talk especially about customer where do you see this going mhm mm yes so basically um in terms of reacting to the digital disruption which is happening and which is happening exponentially some industries some sorts of companies turn out to be much better than incumbent banks for example mobile network operators are one step ahead mobile network operators understand millennials much better than banks mobile network operators have a natural access a natural touch to millennials because millennials would never get rid of their smartphones however they would get rid of their bank account as soon as possible this is a huge gap so mobile network operators are serious threats to incumbent banks as well as the large technology companies there is an expression among bankers circulating more and more the gafa bank the so called gafa bank gafa stays for g a f a which is google apple facebook on amazon the gafa bank concept the concept of google apple facebook and amazon taking most of banking business away banks that is the gafa bank concept and we all have to agree that google apple facebook amazon typically do understand and serve the customers of the future significantly better than incumbent banks chinese tech companies chinese tech companies are even more into financial services than us tech companies think about alibaba and some others doing very serious financial services besides their core activity yes large fintech firms large fintech firms like moven or paypal those are serious challengers small fintech firms there are over 15000 fintech startups 15000 small tiny nimble flexible creative fintech startups globally banks are afraid of them forex companies gaming companies and many other industries also are keeping their eyes on banking because they see how incumbent players are struggling with this new challenge however banks can get smart and banks can disrupt their own industry banks can come up with new user interfaces banks can come up with digital only subsidiaries banks can acquire certain fintech companies banks can sponsor start startups banks can buy uh, equity in fintech companies banks can start accelerators incubators innovation labs banks can start dedicated corporate venture capital funds as many of them do and banks this is the most important can come up with viable innovation strategies and yes. by the way this is the heart of this challenge yes. to come up with viable innovation strategies innovation strategies which overcome the so-called banking innovation paradox yes uh, maybe i can explain you what the banking innovation paradox is so the banking innovation paradox is an inherent thing there are many rumors going around that bankers are not creative bankers are not capable to understand the digital challenge bankers are not willing to innovate and so on but these rumors are false bankers are capable of innovation bankers are creative and bankers are more and more ready for the challenge why is it still so very difficult for banks to innovate 
And the reason is this banking innovation paradox. The banking innovation paradox is very simple, yet very powerful. It has two sides. The first side is the main message, the core message, the primary message of the 2008 crisis. The primary message of the 2008 crisis for all bankers globally was take much less risk, risks on. Take much less risks on. This was the primary message. And by the way, it is this message to take much less risks on is burnt onto the forehead of every banker globally with large capital red letters. Take less risks on. This was our primary lesson from the terrible 2008 crisis. This is one side of the paradox. The other side of the paradox is the message which the fintech revolution is echoing towards bankers. And this message is loud and clear. And this message is become more innovative, become much more innovative or you will die. Now, why, why is there huge tension between the first message, take less risks on, and the second message, become much more innovative? And the reason why there is incredible tension between these two messages is that innovation is taking on additional risks, marginal risks, extra risks, Per definition, how does venture capital work? The best venture capitalists globally from Silicon Valley, the best of the best, pick 100 companies, 100 startups, 100 emerging projects, and 90 out of those go out of business within three years. Another five go out of business within the next two years. Two or three become okay, normal return on investment. And one or two, one or two out of 100 projects becomes an overwhelming loud success. Now, this is risk taking. You have to fail 95 times out of 100 if you are the best. You fail 100 times out of 100 if you are not the best. Now, this kind of risk-taking is totally alien to banks. However, the message of the fintech revolution become much more innovative, i.e. to take much more innovation risks on. And this message is completely against the primary message of the financial crisis, which is Take much less, much less risks on. De-risk. These two messages, these two totally opposing messages, yes. create the banking innovation paradox. And this banking innovation paradox is what bankers throughout the world are struggling to overcome. Yes. Yes, they are. They are absolutely. Now, from what it seems is that after the last dot-com boom, most of the banks successfully made core processes electronic, but now they must digitize them. This is a digital global age. Everything is getting digitized. What is the status of digitization process with the banks? Are they moving rapidly? Are, have they digitized all the processes? In almost every major bank globally, there is a digital transition process going on. A digital transition project, they call most of the times. And these projects are sometimes counterproductive. They pour resources into these projects. They pour management time. They pour money. They pour uh, committees and all sorts of resources into this. However, these processes are sometimes counterproductive. Sometimes these projects are going to the right direction. Sometimes 
these projects are excellent. And the differentiating factor between pouring resources into counterproductive processes versus pouring resources into projects which are truly transformative. So the defining differentiator factor between these is strategy. Those banks which are doing these digital transition projects along and as part of a clear and viable innovation strategy, those banks are destined to succeed. However, those banks who lack a crystal clear innovation strategy, those banks who lack a crystal clear innovation strategy, and most of the time they only move on a tactical or operative level, on an ad hoc series of steps, those banks are almost destined to fail with these processes. Now, here is the big difficulty. Innovation strategies are not very common within banking. In the last 5,000 years, in the last 5,000 years of banking, most innovation came from within. Most innovation was inside out type of innovation. However, now the world is changing so fast and the digital disruption is so eminent that banks have to get accustomed to outside in innovation as well as inside out innovation. Now, this requires complex, sophisticated and clear innovation strategies. And banks are struggling with it. But even consultants, even people trying to help banks and bankers are a little bit struggling with coming up with the right strategies. I can list you some strategies. Yes, yes, you are right. Uh, the, they are coming up. Uh, the, those are the challenges that a uh, lot of banks are facing. Now, it, it, yes, we can talk more about the strategy, but it also seems that uh, the strategy, the one strategy that the banks need to focus as they go towards digital banking is about the security because banks must uh, fortify not only their technologies like you know we have been talking about all these uh, amazing fintech technologies innovations that are coming either from outside of the banking industry or from within the you know industry but uh, what also comes is that you know the security challenges because all these internal processes and cultures that are changing so rapidly and all the technology changes that are happening happening so rapidly amidst all of that to defend customers data from security breaches is a big you know complex challenge for not only banking industry for pretty much each and every industry each and every government everyone so what are banks doing to secure the customers private data because banks have the most sensitive financial information and you know all uh, other sensitive data about each and every individual that is their customer so that is a very complex challenge the security challenge is a very complex challenge what what are banks doing to secure the customer's private data yes so um i will answer you what banks should do in in terms of security in relation in relation to the fintech challenges in relation to the fintech revolution. So banks should divide security reactions into three groups. One group is the fintech areas where a bank wants to compete, primarily compete with the given fintech solution. I give you an example, neobanks newcomers with banking licenses incumbents have to compete those now in primarily competitive areas the right security reaction from an incumbent bank is to provide 
superior information security. So banks have to be more secure and they have to articulate it and they have to be very confident in it. Then newcomers, challengers, fintechs, whom banks primarily want to compete with. Because if you primarily want to compete with someone, you have to be better in terms of security. So that is group one. Group two is areas where banks primarily want to cooperate with the given fintech company, where banks want to face fintech challenges in a cooperative manner. For example, video banking is a primarily cooperative solution because there are three major white label video banking uh, solutions providers globally and every bank is choosing one of those and tailor making the given solution that is cooperative you almost have to find an outside video a specialized video banking provider there is no reason to build your own software that is a cooperative area in the cooperative banks have to ensure that their partner the third party the fintech company they are cooperating with provides full bank level security nothing less never and not a bit less full bank level security as part of the cooperation and you know what it's the responsibility of the bank to make it sure. Yeah. You see? Yes. In primarily cooperative areas, banks have to make sure that their cooperation partners are applying full bank level security throughout their cooperation. This is hard to ensure. Now, there are so-called mixed areas where cooperative and competitive solutions have to be mixed. FinTech people call it coopetition. Coopetition is the mixture of competition and cooperation. For example, digital wallets, online wallets, e-wallets, that is an area where banks have to compete, they have to, a normal bank account has to be better than an online wallet. However, they also have to cooperate. For example, PayPal has very serious cooperations with many established financial institutions. So, uh, in these areas where Cooperation, the mixture of competition and cooperation is the right reaction for banks. Security has to be communicated, communicated in a very tricky way. And the tricky way is to communicate the so-called security value chain. Yes. Who is responsible for which part of the security? Because when you when you give a cooperative reaction, the mixture of a competitive and cooperative reaction, when you give a cooperative reaction, you have to make sure that clients and regulators know which part, which section of the security value chain is bank level security and which part of the value chain is less than bank level security. And this is, by the way, very hard for banks to communicate yes. because it, 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 it's a very tricky situation to communicate that our, our cooperation is not entirely bank level secured because we are also competitors and in our part of the security value chain, a banker can say, we provide superior security you see so this 
co-competitive areas where, where the right reaction is the mixture of competition and cooperation, here you have to divide the security value chain. And as a bank, you have to be very honest which sections of the security chain you cover and which sections of the security chain are not bank level secure. Yes. Now, besides these three different reactions, there is a silver bullet. There is a silver bullet, which is very powerful. And that is to get to know the fintech companies, which are specialized on security. Because fintech is usually bringing up security questions, security problems, security challenges. But luckily enough, out of the 15,000 fintech startups globally, there are a couple of hundred directly dealing with security. And those are very, very exciting companies. Shall I tell you some examples? Sure. Okay. For example, IDNOW from Germany. IDNOW from Germany is providing online identification. They have so-called identification experts and their fraud rate to identify people throughout Europe. They are accepted by almost all European financial authorities. So throughout Europe, they provide lower identity fraud rates than bank branch identification. Why? Because they work with identity experts while a branch employee has hundreds of tasks out of which diligently identifying a client is only one. However, these identity experts are not just better to identify people online through a video solution, but all these identification sessions are recorded and documented. So each person identified has a video, the identification video recorded story, which makes future issues to track back much, much, much uh, easier and professional. Or Behaviosec from Sweden. Behaviosec is an amazing company. It provides a seamless layer of additional security on mobile devices, i.e. smartphones, which clients are often not aware of. When you log in to your mobile banking application or when you use your smartphone as a payments device, for example, Apple Pay or Android Pay, at these times, the Behaviosec application is seamlessly identifying you. It's identifying you if it's you holding the phone in your hands based on the strength you push the screen of your phone, based on the directions of your finger movements, based on the speed of your finger movements, based on the gyroscope which is moving inside the phone, the way you move the phone itself, and many, many other factors and vectors, keystroke dynamics, touch, mouse motion are incorporated, and Behaviosex seamlessly comes up with an estimate if it's you holding the given mobile device or someone else. This is great, and more and more banks are using it throughout Europe. As I told you earlier, Halifax Bank in the UK recently ran an outstandingly successful, outstandingly successful pilot project distributing 1,000 heartbeat recognition bracelets among its clients on a random basis. And clients could log in to their online bank with these heartbeat recognition bracelets instead of any passwords. And you know what? Clients fell in love with it. 
Clients have serious trouble memorizing their passwords. Passwords are sometimes compromised. Uh, they have a total mess in terms of uh, password security. And uh, this heartbeat recognition bracelet is not only an elegant solution, but one which clients happen to love. Of course, a major bank has to be super cautious rolling such solution out. So Halifax Bank is taking its time. Uh, it takes more time, more consideration, more security, more legal background work to really roll it out. But a successful pilot is already something. Lloyds Bank in its call center has commissioned a fintech company called Pindrop. Pindrop has a 147 unique call feature recognition system, which is analyzing your pitch, the background noise, the number history, the call type, and even the way you speak, the words you use in order to identify you through their call center. Then there are amazing anti-phishing solutions like Bank Guard, a Japanese company, which came up with a little card with certain symbols on it, which if you hold with yourself, you carry with yourself, you can log into your online bank in a no phishing, no man in the middle attack type of way. It's a simple, simple solution, very Japanese type of solution and uh, very elegant. Uh, total protection against uh, phishing, uh, and so on, and so on, and so on. Yes. While fintech is raising infinite security yes. challenges, yes. fintech itself is providing colorful, successful, creative, and high-power security solutions. So bankers have to give a differentiated security reaction to fintech and grab as many opportunities to dig up to dig up the security focused fintech solutions and to embrace them as they can. Yes, yes, absolutely. No, that's a really good, you know, overview and uh, explanation that you gave. Uh, I mean, there's a lot we can talk, but uh, we won't have that much time to cover all the areas that we would like to in this hour. But as the technology transforms banking, based on your experiences and what you are seeing across nation, you know, what is happening with the banking industry and what innovations are coming from outside the industry, where the investments are going and how the customer's expectation is shaping up the uh, nature of the banking and where the banking would be in the next 10, 50 years. Based, when you evaluate all of these, what are your concerns? Where do you see, as the technology transforms banking, what concerns you the most that where are the challenges coming up that we need to pay attention to other than the security that we talked about? Security is always going to be a complex challenge and we'll have to keep it at the heart of all the solutions that we are developing. The technology innovations are amazing, but we, Normally, we just look at the functionality, what cool functionality all these innovations are bringing and how it's making our life simple, how it's making it easier, you know, to do all the functions that we want to do with banking. But not many people focus on the security. And uh, we talked briefly about the security challenges that mm -hmm. each and every industry and especially the banking industry faces, the financial industry, the security challenges. That is definitely one area. But other than security, what are your main concerns? Where, where yes. do you see a need for more effort? Mm -hmm. Yes. So two things will happen. One requires more effort from the fintech companies. The other requires more effort uh, from uh, the banks. And uh, the first is... Uh, the interest rate environment. Frankly, we have been through a seven to eight year zero rate environment throughout globally, from the UK to the USA, 
from the European Central Bank to Switzerland, from Japan to many other countries. This is unprecedented. Now, in this zero-rate environment, 15,000 fintech startups could flourish. However, in a positive rate environment, investors will be much more cautious and they will only give money to fintech companies which can show profit. In a positive rate environment, something else will happen. The profitability of incumbent players, major banks, major insurers, maybe major reinsurers, major leasing companies, and so on, all incumbent financial services providers will rise. Because historically, there is rock solid data proving that nominal interest rate environment and everything unchanged profitability of incumbent financial services providers are tightly aligned. In a zero rate environment, it's much harder to make profit. Think about Deutsche Bank. Uh, in a normal positive rate environment, it's much easier to make profit as an incumbent player. So this puts a great challenge in front of the 15,000 small, nimble fintech startups. They have to think about when they can become profitable and they have to become profitable faster than major central banks start a serious rate hike cycle. This is a looming challenge uh, hanging over fintech companies, which they very rarely think over. The second challenge is for banks. For banks, the major challenge besides security is regulation. Regulation. There is a so-called regulatory arbitrage. The regulatory arbitrage is the significant gap, significant distance between the average level of regulation a bank faces versus the average seriousness of regulation a fintech startup faces. This is the regulatory arbitrage. The regulatory arbitrage is huge. We have tried to measure it, and it turned out that there is a, an at least 50% regulatory arbitrage. So banks are twice as heavily, seriously, strictly regulated as fintech companies globally, uh, in Asia, in Europe, in the USA. And uh, this regulatory arbitrage consists of two parts. One is the regulatory vacuum. The regulatory vacuum is the lack of decent, differentiated, well-tuned fintech regulation. For example, the fact that Bitcoin in most jurisdictions is still unregulated. That is regulatory vacuum, the lack of sufficient level and seriousness of regulation for fintech. The other side of the regulatory arbitrage is the so-called regulatory gap. <coughs> the regulatory gap is the difference between the so-called regulatory equilibrium, that is the right level of regulation, versus the current level of banking regulation. Basically, all regulatory experts agree, not politicians, but all regulatory experts agree that after 2008, we fell on the wrong side of the horse and now banks are overregulated. Yes. Now banks are significantly overregulated. The average level of banking regulation in the European Union, in the USA, and in most parts of Asia is beyond the so-called regulatory equilibrium, the right level of regulation. So by the way, in the coming five years, some, some deregulation will come. But still, in spite of this slight deregulation, the regulatory arbitrage will remain with us. And therefore, doing the same activity, the same activity from an incumbent bank's point of view is much more costly, much more compliance intensive, much more regulatorily risky yeah. than doing the same activity from a 
from an underregulated fintech startups point of view. This is the regulatory arbitrage. And banks have to play this smart. Banks have to go up to politicians and not only tell to ease some regulations on them, but they also have to explain to bring the right regulations regarding fintech activities. And the right regulations are strict, clear, and protecting the public, but not killing the fintech startups. So banks have to work on closing the regulatory arbitrage. And what I see is that banks lobby very strong to get sort of deregulated, but often miss the point to come up with good, fair ideas for their fintech competitors to be smartly regulated. And smart regulation, fair regulation, regulatory equilibrium for a fintech company is not equal regulation to a three, three trillion US dollar balance sheet global banking giant. You see? Yes. So you have to have regulators to regulate fintech companies in a fair and smart way. And you have to lobby with politicians to get somewhat deregulated. This is the work banks have to do in order to decrease the regulatory arbitrage. Yes, yes, very true. No, you, it was a great explanation. And like you said, you are absolutely right that we do need smart regulation. We don't need over-regulation. I mean, we don't need uh, 100 new regulations coming every single day. We need smart regulation that is that can effectively manage the risk that uh, banking industry faces or the you know customers faces because of the banking industry and how we can all manage uh, our security risk of all different nature uh, effectively so we do need smart regulations now you had banking reports david would you like to share with our global viewers and listeners what banking reports are and where can they find more information if they're interested in looking into that mm -hmm. very good so I am a fintech trainer. So as the CEO of Banking Reports Limited, I sit down with 20 to 25 bankers for two days and we talk about fintech. I teach bankers about fintech, financial technology. We sit for two days and I show well over a hundred slides and I explain them and we do exercises. We do exercises like the corporate venture capital exercise. How, when to start up a dedicated venture capital arm within a bank to invest into fintech, how to divest, how to avoid investment mistakes. We also do exercises like setting up the Apple Bank. What kind of bank Steve Jobs would have set up? What kind of bank Apple, Google, Facebook, Amazon could set up? So we do very exciting exercises. We go over uh, um, more than 100 slides. And that is the two-day fintech training program for bankers. And bankers, by the way, come out of these programs empowered and they want to speed their digital transition projects up and they get operative tactical as well as strategic ideas how to get it right that is what i do so i give fintech training to bankers and they can get to know much more about it uh, through our twitter account and through our linkedin activity uh, we are uh, upgrading our website, so we will come up with a new uh, website within a month. And uh, the best source is uh, LinkedIn and Twitter about us. Thank you. Thank you for that. And like you said, that, you know, talking about uh, 
technology disruption or technology transformation uh, that is coming for any industry requires minimum couple of days and like you said you know it, it is not possible to do justice in an hour but we have made an attempt today uh, with david's help so that we can uh, provide that uh, foundational background or some information for our global viewers and listeners to start thinking. So thank you, David, for participating in Risk Roundup today. Uh, we appreciate your thoughtful insight on what bankers need to know uh, about financial technology. And our global viewers and listeners would benefit tremendously from the information you provided on financial technologies, like 30 of them. And uh, you give such wonderful examples that are being explored to bring meaningful changes to the banking infrastructure, products, and processes. So even if a single individual or entity can come up with an idea to innovate the banking sector and bring the much needed transformation to banks and banking based on the discussion we had today, this Risk Roundup Dialogue has been of service, and we thank you for that. Yeah. Thank you for this interview. Wonderful, David. So as banks, banking and bankers are now racing to harness the power of financial technologies like blockchain and artificial intelligence, the questions bankers need to evaluate is how can they benefit from the financial technologies? How can they go digital? How can they keep security in the focus and how can they avoid obsolescence? Risk Group Cybersecurity Risk Research Center and Strategic Security Risk Research Center are created for this very reason to identify, evaluate, and manage the risk facing NGIOA in CGS, that means nations, its government, industries, organizations, and academia in cyberspace, geospace, and space, and discuss, debate, and define necessary framework, structure, processes, tools, and technologies to manage the security risk of not only the digital global age, but also of the coming technological superconvergence. We at Risk Group believe that risk management, security, and peace walk together hand in hand. Though security is related to management of threats and peace to the management of conflict, risk management is related to management of security vulnerabilities as well as management of conflict. And it is not possible to conceive any one of the three without the existence of the other two. All three concepts feed into each other. We believe that the security we build for ourselves is precarious and uncertain until it is secured for everyone across nations. Tradition becomes our security. So if we build a culture of managing risk effectively, it will lead us to security and security will lead us to peace. Let's manage the existing and emerging risks together. For more information on the risk roundups, to watch the risk roundup videos or hear the risk roundup podcast, please go to riskgroupllc.com and do not forget to subscribe and share. Until next time, I'm Jayashree Pandya, host of Risk Roundup, signing off. See you next time. Thank you.